0: For August 5th, 2019, it's the Overthinking It podcast, episode 579, The Indispensables. Welcome to Overthinking It Presents Belinky, Fenzel, and Rather, the podcast where we spin off from the main podcast and do something that is related, but nine to 10 times more ridiculous. Are you guys ready to just Bust through the side of a discursive double-decker bus on the streets of London I'm Matt Rather and with me are uh, our frenemies Matt Balinky Hello Matt Oh the sound of your voice it just oh it hurts me physically hurts me to hear it Everyone who listens to the podcast agrees with you
1: And (laughs) other frenemy Peter Fenzel Oh the image of you in the Skype chat window has made me vomit all over my microphone.
0: <laughs> we are here to talk about Fast and Furious Presents Hobbs and Shaw. Spoiler alert, it's ridiculous.
2: <laughs> just it's, and, and yeah, you know just set expectations It's even judged against the other Fast and the Furious movies, which includes a scene where Vin Diesel has to jump a a muscle car over a nuclear submarine. Um, and well, what is it? I, I I can't even begin to sort of a litany of all the ridiculous things. The one where like they're they're towing the safe through downtown Rio de Janeiro, probably killing hundreds of people. Um, but this movie is more ridiculous than any Fast and the Furious. Just movie remember, we ever. started
0: we started boosting DVD players in Honda Civics, and now we're DVD here. DVD
2: players don't exist anymore. Even if you wanted to boost, them.
0: <laughs> you couldn't. You'd have to go to a pawn shop or something like that. All right, let's dive in. I want to ask a question just to start, Pete. uh, Hobbs and Shaw, is it fast? Is it furious?
1: (laughs) Uh, It is fast. It isn't really furious. Yep, You are correct. (laughs) Yes, yes. And how I would elaborate is that Hobbs and Shaw is an action movie that is so... Uh, it, it is it it just barely manages to hold together the notion that there is a world in which this string of scenes takes place. And I say this loving this movie, right? You had said spoiler alert, the movie is ridiculous. I'd say spoiler alert, there is still beauty in the world, right? You can still smile even with everything else that's happening in the world right now. <laughs> uh, there's still interesting things that can be said with projectile motor vehicles but uh but but it is it is so thinly related internally with regards to plausibility or any kind of expectation but tonally and kind of what the story is telling right is uh it manages to be a sort of uh, I mean, a presents, right? It feels like a sketch show or a musical review or like a, a like a road movie with Bing Crosby and Bob Hope, right? Where it's like Jason Statham and The Rock are going to go to a bunch of places and do a bunch of things and sort of play characters, but mostly play themselves, except not really their real selves, but the selves that they think are really awesome that everybody should think are awesome, right? And so the movie the movie breezes by anything resembling a, a really serious consideration of the consequences of what is happening, it's even to the extent that I don't really. Feel like the innocent bystanders in this movie are in any danger at all. <laughs>
2: you know, it's, it's no, if they, this yeah. movie, this movie, it almost feels like you could have made like a PG cut instead of PG 13. The way that like The Incredibles is PG, right? Like, even though there's a lot of violence, there's a lot of people getting beaten up, it all feels so cartoony and it feels like people can, can nothing literally at the uh, can, can I do a spoiler for the very final fight of this movie? <laughs> the so the plot, plot is so important. The, the, so, The Rock. <laughs> Picks up Idris Elba and slams him down directly on the back of his neck on a on a boulder so hard that the boulder cracks and then it, like you know to the point where like not only should even Idris Elba's neck be broken but like his head should have like flown into the Pacific Ocean and Idris Elba just sort of sits up and just sort of rubs the back of his head like he has like a mild migraine. Um oh, Matt, like, literally he's no... a, he
1: a cyborg vertebrae. Right. He's he
2: has an that. adamantium skeleton. Dude, it's <laughs> like you know, it's, But I guess I guess that's the, but you feel that like both the Rock and Jason Statham also might as well have adamantium. I mean like at one point they they drive right off a cliff and and, and you're not worried for a second that anyone is seriously hurt or or their fighting ability will be negatively impacted. This is video game rules, right? Like it's yeah. full it's full out like no matter like what happens, how many hit points you supposedly lose in a fight, you're them, you're back would, to full strength for the next stage.
0: I would call them 18 TV show rules where <laughs> whenever the bad guys get gunned down, they like they crawl back up and wave <laughs> at the camera. <laughs>
1: it reminds me of the opening sequence of The Other Guys with Will Ferrell and uh, Mark, Marky Mark, right? Where The Rock and Samuel L. Jackson play super cops who are chasing criminals through town and causing a whole bunch of ruckus. And that scene culminates in the two of them, you know, they look, they're they on top of a building. They see the bad guys running down the street and they're thinking like, what, you think what I'm thinking? They're saying, aim for the bushes. And they just <laughs> leap off of an eight-story building. And the joke is that in that movie, they just fall and die. And, and that's the sort of premise of the movie The other guys is that they can't jump off an eight-story building and survive. This movie does things that are orders of magnitude more absurd than that, right? Like at (laughs) one point, The Rock holds a full-sized military attack helicopter to a tow truck with the chains in both hands, right? Like flexes, (laughs) just like
2: those. Pete, Pete, would
0: you say that he uses one chain? <laughs> Two
2: chains.
0: It actually, chain blue chains. actually is one. <laughs> actually, is one chain because he he's holding on to the tow truck with the like other, like a winch with him. the yeah, other. The, right, but this, exactly. But there, so there's, this
2: is there's one specific moment though that I wanted to bring up because I think it, it both it gels with the the aesthetic. The aesthetic and the thematic uh elements that this movie is trying to accomplish which is that the bad guys have guns that are all sort of coded to what is this it? like biometric is I, I don't know if it's like you need a proximity chip so it's like it's coded to their cell phone so your cell phone has to be within five feet or literally it's like a fingerprint scanner but somehow the guns can be hacked Right. And and in fact, Hattie, um, the sister of Jason Statham, who, in, in true fast and various fashion, like in addition to her many other skills, is also just like an arbitrarily powerful hacker. Um, Man, just to hack all the guns. And so they become uh, they don't work, but only for six minutes, because after six minutes, it's necessary that there be sort of lethal consequences for the action scene to continue. But I feel like so aesthetically, what this allows us to do is take a final confrontation that should have a very high body count and a, a tragically high body count like, you know, the rocks. Samoan family members should have to lay down their lives for his cause. And it says, turns it into just sort of like a, a, a rough and tumble street fight. Where it's, like Ewok, people,
1: it's an Ewok adventure.
2: Yeah. Like like people, people get bruised, but like nobody is actually getting killed in that fight. Everyone just gets clubbed and like tied up for the, for the FBI. Um, but also like aesthetically, it says something because, uh, sorry, thematically it says something because Isisaba is the guy who uh, worships technology has uh, literally been reborn through technology. Evangelizes endlessly about technology, um, which is interesting. Does anybody remember the sort of meaningless technobabble babble that's uh, the the villain in the previous Fast and Furious movie, uh, played by Charlize Theron? Uh, also, like, what is what is her sort of ethos? Oh, what does Cypher want? I mean, I mean, the fact that like we can't remember probably says all you need to say. Like like all these all these villains are just sort of like they have arbitrary bad like whatever it takes to make it so like launching nuclear weapons is like a a realistic goal. I feel like Thanos has spoiled us for villains because Thanos like like I know exactly what he wants and why he wants it, which is more than I could say for Idris Elba or Shirley's Theron. own yeah because uh, I realize he I'm uh, her name
0: be, differently every single time because he really missed the uh the lecture on malthus in uh in his class that 's in you know college that 's why he he wants it but yeah that's uh you know i i thought the the stuff about the technology the the stuff about the technology was very interesting it's very on point you know it's it's so relevant. Today. It's very current. Yeah, yeah exactly. <laughs> Should we all become cyborgs? I mean, the same weekend this came out, Elon Musk talked about like inserting a hundred thousand electrodes into somebody's brain. Yeah, but and,
1: he talks about that every
0: week. <laughs> yeah, well, well, right, and this is the le- right. This is the thing, right? The the uh, Etion. ET e- ETA e- T- oh the the bad guy the the yeah. specter organization umbrella um, corporation yeah, yeah exactly right like the with the the leader who um what's the name of budget rob R- riggle with less testosterone rob, rob De- delaney. delaney okay yeah it's one of the robs uh that that's his voice right it's got to be him
1: as the bad no, guy it- It's it's I thought it was Ryan Reynolds who's the voice of the bad guy, which means that the whole enter. I mean, but of course, Ryan Reynolds was also the voice of the juggernaut in the Deadpool movie and the juggernaut and Deadpool aren't the same person.
2: I wonder how because they really seem to have either either they know something like specifically that they're doing in the sequel or they just sort of want to leave it out there and like they'll film the blank later. It's going to be like The Rock's former partner, The Rock's father, The Rock's clone. You know, it's going to it's going to be somebody that they haven't quite. Sketched it out about sort of like a a period in his backstory, but we're all
0: we're all agreed it's one of the CIA characters.
2: But I don't know if it's supposed. It might be their voices in real life, but I don't know if it's supposed to be that. Like literally, the CIA is doing a Palpatine and like setting up both sides of the conflict.
0: I thought it was the other one, but yeah, I'd 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 take uh, I'd take Ryan Reynolds, but yeah. So the 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 thing is like the the unreal the most unrealistic thing uh in in a movie where a man has uh glowing eye implants and rides a transformer motorcycle right is that uh being a technofuturist makes you a an international villain and super spy and not like a clown like Elon <laughs> Musk <you know>?
1: <laughs> <laughs> guys a Burn. clown he's a clown oh man
0: <laughs> but uh uh you know the the to a certain extent, I I feel like these there are straw man um, t- technology villains, straw man you know cyborg advocates, right? That like r- really are a smokescreen for the real the real problems with cyborg stuff, which have to do with like advertising tracking cookies and and machine learning being deployed to to weaponize your cognitive biases at scale but but i you know i don't know i digress like adamantium (laughs) you know adamantium skeleton good or
1: bad pete good or bad Here's the thing this isn't a movie about Adamantium skeletons it's a movie about family
2: <laughs> well, <is> it- <laughs> right. well they, they a- don't they don't
1: use that word though right yeah. because like that word is reserved for for the the mothership series yeah it's not actually about family it's a it's a, it is a movie about uh, isolated people and it's a it's a movie that's about people who are kind of confronting the flaws and the problems in their lives that have broken down their past relationships and are trying to figure out how to progress forward as people despite these wounds that are in their past. And in that sense, it could very well be like a Steven Seagal movie, except that it's fun. Uh, but, um, but yeah, it's, it's that every character has some sort of primordial wound related to an alienation from a real or virtual family. And the movie isn't so much about the families as it is about what the people – how the people approach – their own, uh, kind of vulnerability and their own kind of shortcomings and failures that have been created by these situations, which in a sort of a hunger games way is related in a geopolitical sense to what is happening in the world, right? Where it's like the, 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 uh, the technocratic, you know, machine learning algorithm, super boss who is turning everybody into cyborgs and is going to purge all the weakness from the world is like really a kind of, uh, a a maladaptive attachment superego that sort of insists that if you if the people that in your life who are supposed to love you don't love you, it's because there's something about you that's wrong and bad and needs to be expunged, right? Like and and that that's the problem, right? Which is the problem is that if people don't get along with you or if you don't succeed in the world. Then that's because you're weak, and this is attached to the idea that people, you know, people out in the world are not going to have jobs because of automation. Uh, And then Hobbes and Shaw are like, well, what if the people know how to use the computers, (laughs) right? Like they they could be innovative in their own ways. But but the basic basic idea is that Hobbes and Shaw. Uh, reconcile with their families in different ways to sort of heal and patch up their personal weaknesses, which is presented as an alternative to basically killing your pain. Uh, by replacing it with cyborg implants
0: I mean Hobbes uh, yeah. has a good uh, Hobbes has a good story in this respect and Shaw has a bad one right where Shaw's is based on a piece of missing information and when uh, princess Margaret discovers that like oh my goodness he was framed by Idris Elba by black Superman you know <laughs> like right. uh that you know and that that sort of information I feel like it's it's weaker dramaturgically the idea that like oh it was just a piece piece of missing information. And had I read the situation, had I read the fact pattern with anything resembling generosity to the brother whom I supposedly love, then uh, I would have been able to, you know, I I would have been able to maybe like find out more and like learn that he had in fact not, you know, killed everyone and and gone rogue, but he still killed Han. (laughs) Yeah, he did. Justice for Han. That's Um, hashtag justice for Han.
2: (laughs) But uh, but the rocks. Can we just sort of uh, do a do a quick rundown of the Shaw family and their sort of uh, D and D type uh, you know uh, alignment? Sure.
0: Uh, (laughs) Academy Academy Award winner Helen Mirren is seems like
2: chaotic good to me. No no no. But she's she's a legit criminal, right? The question is is she's she's a legit? She's always been a criminal, right? Now Hattie, the younger sister. Is good and has always been good, with the possible exception of when she was a small child. Right? Like, yes. like she's
1: she's working for the government, she's always worked for the government, she is not a thief. So here's the, the the There's a lot about this movie that's strange credulity. One of the things is that you okay. have to kind of abandon uh, some of the old uh, history of the characters because the characters get remade as new characters. But yes, what I would say is the Shaw family are a family of master criminals who inexplicably are able to rise to the ranks to the elite <laughs> levels of MI6, despite you know, but, being but like are they are they criminal? Okay, because Hattie's
2: nods. Um, Owen, right? The Luke Evans, the original Shaw brother, we see is definitely he's a straight-up criminal, or was was he a good guy at one point and then became evil? Is that part of his backstory? And what is it, Fast Six? Oh, and that's like oh, he had a team and they
1: died, or uh, was it? Was is it, it, like one of those things? Six, where, like, yeah, he used to
2: work crazy. for the government, but now he's evil, and it's. Is the idea that like both of the brothers used to – I'm going to Google this. Keep talking.
1: (laughs) I think the idea is that the mom is an arch criminal and we were previously presented with the Shaw's Shaw's brothers. No, not the kung fu masters of uh, late 70s, early 80s Hong Kong cinema. The Shaw's brothers. But no, that the Shaw brothers are kind of gangster sons who follow in their mom's footsteps and who have some sort of shady relationship with like – British Delta Force in some way, right? If it's MI six, MI seven, some nonsense. Yeah, uh,
2: it's, it's saying so. So Owen Shaw, which is the um the character, sorry, played by uh, Luke Evans, by Gaston, that, like, from the live action was, Beauty and the Beast. Right, exactly. He's Gaston, right? He was like part of like you know British special forces. He ran the British mobility division in Kabul and Basra. He was right. head of special, right? So he's like you know w- once again like good guy. Who turns evil, I guess, voluntarily, as opposed to Jason Statham's character, who is a good guy who turns evil. But then it turns out that he sort of like is is turns evil only because
1: he's framed, not because he actually is evil. Right. But then the other point is that it appears that nobody's doing any background checks on any of these people before hiring them for jobs. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> the, the way that this plays out, I don't think I think I agree with Matt in that Shaw's story is, Wait, is weaker. Which than- Matt which Matt do you agree with? I mean, both of you all the time for sure. We are, we are a we, there's no tension in this buddy cop duo, right? Uh, which is that like, The Rock has the better story. Hobbes has the better story, but Shaw has really cool symbolism. I think around the general idea that he's associated with secrets that he that things that are sort of down and dirty and unknown that, that he has access to that other people don't have access to, and his sort of jumbled backstory is supposed to be kind of a justification for why all this works and it doesn't it's not the, the move it doesn't function it's sort of like uh it feels like you try to push the button on the remote control car to get it to go and it just goes right the wheels don't turn and you're like well something's hooked up wrong i don't know what it is but the story the backstory of the Shaw's doesn't really work but the idea of Shaw as this sort of guy who dwells in the shadows and has secret super rich thief technologist girlfriends scattered around the world who are 30 years younger than he is and a sister who's 20 years younger than he is. Uh, but, uh, but yeah, but I mean that's neither here nor there. But like You know, there's all this stuff that Shaw does with regards to, like, his secret lair under the pub and the secret switch Mm -hmm. that he uses to get down the elevator. And then there's the grenades that are on the floor that he has to grab the pins to. There's all this sort of, like, delving down and getting down that Shaw does that gives him some kind of visual sense of character uh, if only his – maybe his backstory doesn't really function. Right. He's supposed to be a spy, right?
2: So, like, everything is, like – Undercover with him, right? He is yeah. like he's, and in fact, like that's that's the reason that he he constantly brings up besides the the uh, look of his face that he doesn't want to work with Hobbs because uh, Hobbs is because Hobbs has no subtlety, Hobbs can't blend in, right? That that right. Hobbs is is a
1: um, is a super conspicuous character because he's the Rock and he's ginormous, right? 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 For sure. And so, yeah, whereas he can just dress up like a German ski instructor and and then he's fine. He doesn't get through airport. Well, that's another thing, the strange credulity in this movie. They are framed (laughs) by having their images projected on every TV in the entire world. uh, And... And Shaw thinks it would be funny to frame to to frame Hobbes for an unrelated crime while sneaking through airport security in order to delay him so that he can't hang out with them. It doesn't see this as jeopardizing their mission like at all. Right. Yeah. It's, it's, yeah and exactly. it's
2: interesting because this is one of many pieces of almost like, you know, autobiographical sort of fourth wall b- breaking about mm. The Rock bringing his real self into the movie, which is that like, it, you know, everyone's sort of like, how did you manage to escape from You know, the fact that like we basically turned you into the authorities and you're the world's most wanted man. And he's like, I'm the people like me. I'm super charismatic, which seems like seems like this sort of weight to the fact that like the rock actually is a
1: super beloved character. Yeah, so what's when it real life, changes, right? The Rock, at one point, says he's going to take a folding chair, turn it sideways. Right? But, then it is, but it doesn't it's shove it down your throat. Right? Yeah, it's, he doesn't finish it. He doesn't which finish you can it. We should see uh, But then, I mean, they
2: straight up uh, talk about the the eyebrow thing, right? And, yeah. and have it sort of be like, I don't do that. I don't do a funny thing with my eyebrow. You mean this? I don't even know how to do that. Yeah. Um, I mean, obviously, just the fact that he's Simone, I had heard, honestly, Fast Five seems like a lifetime ago. But I've seen people online talking about how, like, maybe he was supposed to have a southern accent in the original one. Right. Yeah, it is. A it is interesting boy, yeah. that that I, this is 100 percent true that, like, when the character of Hobbes was being written, they straight up uh, were thinking of asking um, Tommy Lee Jones. To right. play him, where it would have it would have like straight up just been like the uh, a lampshading of the fugitive, right? <laughs> just like it's yeah. the fugitive like rewritten as like an action movie. Obviously, that would have been a very different character. He would have been like this sort of remorseless and like super cunning hunter, but not like a physical force of nature. Yeah. Yeah. No,
0: they gonna the
1: same it, thing. The, yeah,
2: would have
0: ahead. been a, a you know mostly like leadership and management. You know, listen up, ladies and gentlemen. Our fugitive has been on the run in a Honda Civic for ninety minutes. What I want out of each and every one of you is a hard target search of every gas station, residence, warehouse, farmhouse, henhouse, outhouse, doghouse, and uh, illegal street race where women in improbably short skirts shake their butts in that area. Checkpoints go up at 15 miles. Our fugitive's name is Dominic Toretta. Yeah, no, that, it would be different.
2: But It is funny that like, you can't imagine any other actor doing. Doing, I mean, first of all, like Jason Statham, we just don't know enough about his life. Like, like, everybody knows. And part of this is the fact that, like, The Rock has such a... Active in seismic, uh, Instagram and social media presence that, like, we know about his relationships with his daughters. We know about his sort of proud Samoan heritage. We know about his pancake cheat days, right? Whereas, by the way, that, like, I was curious to, to see how Vin Diesel was reacting to the release of this movie, whether he was playing it up or not. So I went to find Vin Diesel's Twitter. Vin Diesel has not tweeted for two years since 2017, which I think says, a lot that like Vin Diesel is just sort of like maybe he'll tweet to promote a movie, but like he cannot be bothered to sort of maintain a social media presence oh. and to like I don't know do like online D and D gaming on Twitch or, or you know which you can not With all imagine. due
1: respect, Matt. Well, actually, Vin Diesel is very active on Instagram.
2: Uh, on, oh, yeah. sorry.
1: On Instagram. Not Twitter, <laughs> right. He has 56.5 million Instagram followers. He's also was for a while one of the top celebrities on Facebook. So he made that play. But you're right that he doesn't tweet like he doesn't. Does it, his, doesn't like, his last
2: tweet is actually uh, is really sad because it's about how he's like finally getting a um, a Hannibal
1: historical
2: epic off the ground. in 2017. Oh, which I don't I don't believe is actually happening. So maybe maybe the fact that like he was just too embarrassed to go and like sort of like delete that
1: tweet. He just never logged onto Twitter again So two, two weeks ago on Vin Diesel's birthday. He posted to Instagram a picture of himself with a copy of the script that says Riddick Four Furia written by David N. Twohy. Uh, yeah. <laughs> but just just to well, actually, back at you, I would yes. say he's
2: moderately active on Instagram. He has a lot of Instagram followers, but The Rock Instagrams multiple times a day, or like I mean, The, oh, yeah. the Rock is like always on Instagram, whereas Vin Diesel will show up every couple weeks. Well, oh, I love,
0: I love The Rock's Instagram. I get both nutrition tips and workout tips from him.
2: Yeah, I mean, and, and so so the fact that, like, The Rock, like, we sort of feel like we know him, it makes sense that, like, gradually his character, you know, in, in the last time he appeared in Fast and Furious movie, they had, like, a sort of comic relief scene where his daughter's soccer team is doing the Samoan sort of chant to psych out the other small girl's soccer team who are just looking at them with horrified expressions on their face. But in this movie, like, going back to Samoa and, like, dressing in traditional Samoan dress and, and wielding traditional Samoan weapons... Is, I mean, so like, you know, his character is gradually turning into the rock to the to the point where like he might as well just like change his name to Dwayne
1: legally in the next movie. <laughs> I mean, I would say that like the difference is the level of intimacy and personableness, because Vin Diesel uses social media to kind of share kind, motivational messages and pictures of movie sets, and The Rock uses it to share, like, moments from his life, whether it's are funny or personal. Uh, it, it's a it's more transparent view into who he is. There's less of a boundary. Although, then you could say, well, then there's a boundary behind the social media persona, right? That's that's sort of a, a construction there. Uh, although, we will say, it's probably not—it's interesting to compare and contrast— Hobbs and Shaw to the Expendables, right? Which is a very similar Expendables two and Expendables three. Not so much Expendables one, which is a significantly more serious movie than Hobbs and Shaw. But yeah, Expend, I, yeah.
2: I will never forget that that Academy Award winner Mickey Rourke. Didn't he win one, or certainly nominated, right? Tell me about now? Any Mickey Rourke has a monologue about watching a woman commit suicide in Serbia in The Expendables 1, and he weeps. He weeps real tears while he's giving this monologue, and yeah. it's just – I'm not going to say it's good, but it is not something that would have even been attempted in at Expendables 2 and 3, <laughs> nor, nor in Hobbs and Shaw. Let's just put
1: it that I- way. But the funny thing about Expendables 2 and 3 is that the base assumption, or rather the relevant thing, is that the base assumption about all of these actors is that we can treat them in this sort of post-classical, baroque, self-parody kind of way because it's like a roast at the end of their careers. There's no reason for them to keep up the K-fab anymore. You can have Arnold Schwarzenegger firing a machine gun out the side of a smart car doing donuts in, a, in an airport lobby. Specifically you don't have to because, take them yeah. seriously anymore, Right, right. And, and they, and a part of the point is that well nobody takes us seriously. We'll show you. We'll turn that from a bug into a feature. But then this movie is like the Indispensables, right? It's it's like the Expendables, except these are people who can't be expended, and are this is the sort of this is the sort of full throated uh, ascent of where an a- action movies are right now is in this sort of parody place. And the Rock is not somebody who is considered to be kind of over the hill, but at the same time the Rock isn't significantly younger than any of the people in the Expendables. Like, I mean, then yeah. Sylvester Stallone sure, but not then Terry. Cruise. He's like four years younger than Terry.
2: Yeah, I, I looked it up. So the Rock is forty-seven now. Uh, Jason Statham is fifty-two. Which, by the way, interesting. I, I don't know if it's interesting. Interesting is the word for it. The uh, woman who plays Hattie, Vanessa Kirby, is thirty-one. Princess Margaret. Where, it's, yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm sorry, Princess Margaret. Uh, and in flashbacks, it seems clear that, like, although she is the little sister, we're talking maybe like a couple years younger. So I don't know. Jason Jason Statham
0: is ageless, though, you know, he's he doesn't he's somewhat
2: ageless, although he's not taking his shirt off and rolling around in the motor oil the way that he did in uh, um, in, in the (laughs) transporter in a scene that I will never forget, even even though I've tried.
1: I was trying to explain that to my wife. I, she was like, what's Jason Statham been in? I was like, OK, so oh. there's this scene in a bus station. <laughs> that was like the first thing I went to, right? It's like mm. so there's this movie, The Transporter, which when I saw it, I didn't like very much. But I've seen it again and again over the years. And while the core, sto- core story isn't very good, Jason Statham <laughs> has this scene in a bus station where he clips these bicycle pedals to his feet and rolls around in a grease puddle, kicking and people People try to grab his naked torso, but he's so slippery that they <laughs> slide like, off. It's kind of ho- – I mean, it's very homoerotic. But it's you know, it's it's just it shows that he can go there. Right. I mean, but then if you look up the actual movies he's made. I wanted to look up whether he's actually was actually in the Italian job or not. I was trying to remember because it's been a long time. And of course, he is. And, and of course, Matt, you know, you you caught the reference that that was a joke that went over the head of everybody in my theater. Nobody oh, yeah asked. No, that was that was pretty good. The, the Mini Cooper in the in the basement uh, lair. Right, right. So, like, Jason Statham here is also being portrayed as, like, Shaw is Jason Statham, is the sort of idea of Jason Statham as created by the body of work that Jason Statham has done, which is a combination of being spies, gangsters, gangster spies, and, and spy gangster spies, and, and, and whatnot, and guys yeah. in monk outfits throwing knives into people's faces. But It is, uh, it is yeah.
2: interesting that, like, even in The Transporter, which was kind of—I mean, you know, unless you're counting the— um, the uh, like Lockstock, you know the the yeah. sort of british gangster movies where he's not he's not an action star right he's not a he-man in those um that the the transporter is another one where he was like british special forces right he was he was like you know a, a good guy working for the government but now he's like a bad guy for hire but with a code of honor right that the yeah. whole point is that like he'll drive for the criminals but you know, if if they do something that like offends him, he will stab them in the back or or, or kick them with a bicycle
1: of pedals strapped to his feet. This movie would not have really been all that different if it had been a Jumanji transporter crossover movie where it was just the rocks (laughs) character from Jumanji meets the transporter and they just go and do stuff, right? Like all of the same, you can hit all the same beats. None of the setup from the previous movies matter. Uh, because, As we all sort of, all, all, as we continue to say, there is no justice for Han. Although I have heard theories that now that they've introduced the ability to use uh, advanced cybernetics technology, you to reanimate corpses, uh, that Han might be reanimated in the next fastener. Han- oh, I
0: think just Han, so it- uh, What if Hanbot is the the villain? What if he's the oh the guy God. behind the the screen behind the little vu meter there?
2: Yeah. The only thing that speaks against that is that, like, I think he directly calls out Hobbes and he's like, Hobbes, don't you remember me? Whereas you'd expect yeah. him to call out Shaw if it were. But by the way, the Justice Shahan thing, I think, is pretty well confirmed in a recent interview with Entertainment Weekly that um, the writer did and said that, like, the there was a line sort of right before the final battle uh, that Jason Statham has to his sister. He's like, there are some things I've done that I'm not proud for that I need to, like, make right. If I survive this and he said that like that is supposed to be an explicit reference to justice for Han, which will be addressed at some point in the future.
1: Ah, So the future is so bright. I love the future.
0: (laughs) Yeah, we all get we all get adamantium skeletons. I, (laughs) I did. This movie did suffer a little bit from the. Plot-wise, anyway, from the idea that this was just the because, like, Black Superman was a mini boss, you know. That's from the from the idea plot-wise that this is just the the setup for the cooler movie that is coming later. It's like the last uh, Crimes of Grindelwald movie um, that uh, you know. It's just like, hey, guys, you're not going to wait to see until we actually show you the real movie that you want to see, where the the stakes matter and it's it's consequential but i mean it really did it i really did get um action villain bingo like shadowy overlord corporation uh you know director you don't see who's only there via some kind of like menacing digital representation and a voice you know an altered voice uh that you hear on the soundtrack um it may as well be like Kit from Night Rider, right? <laughs> like the, for all we see of the the boss, uh, super virus that's you know a designer DNA destroyer, uh, going to wipe out the world. Um, uh, uh, cyborg people, we we can make them better, stronger. You know, um, the future the future is us. It's you know, it's not them. We're going to destroy the weak. It's almost like if only they had dropped a titanium rod from low Earth orbit, you know, in order to <laughs> to decimate a city, we would have had Yahtzee. Or something. <laughs> <It's>,
1: <laughs> it is it is basically a Kingsman's movie, right? right. Which means it's also yeah. every other movie. There yeah. it is, <laughs>
0: right? Yeah, and that's I mean, actually, this is this is interesting, right? The, Like that, at a certain point, they become mannerist. You know what I mean? They become this kind of baroque. Uh, genre devoid of any kind of relation to actual human life. And, and the point is that it's just, it's, it's post-structural, right? Like it's, it's a system of signs that, that eventually just all point to other signs that all point to other signs. And there's no, you know, there's no sort of original. I mean, what, what is the original? The first Rambo movie, you know, the first, like some of the seminal 1980s, um, Action movies. And in that respect, it is not unlike, you know, uh, uh, Dangerous Liaisons or Ridicule for a more obscure French version of, of that or, uh, or um, Downton Abbey you know mm-hmm. uh speaking of which the king is coming to downton the king is coming to downton. <laughs> but but you know until <laughs> until he gets there right like what's the deal you know what's what's the deal pete what's the downton abbey moment of hobbs and shaw
1: <laughs> oh man i feel like the downton abbey moment of hobbs and shaw well the, he gives a speech at the end right where he talks about uh we believe in machines and we believe in people which is the shakespearean epilogue of like if you you want this movie to have a comfortable moral there it is it's not what the movie is about i felt like the downton abbey-ish moment was the rock talking to because he is the rock right shaw uh, Hobbs talking to uh, Princess Margaret, right, and asking her about dancing, and, and saying, "Have you do, do you dance?" Right, you know, and, and she's like, "What kind of like do the macarena?" Right, <laughs> do I do the? Uh, it was either the macarena or it was what was the other dance that she wanted to do? It wasn't like the Dougie or cotton eyed Joe, but it was like to the electric slide or something. He's yeah. like, "No, the, the tango." Right, do you do partner dancing? Um, and and I feel she's like-, like yeah, must must be like you know a different generation, which is funny
2: because the dances that she names. Or already the wrong generation. Yeah, exactly. I do
1: dances that young people do, like the cha cha, you know, like slot. the machoena. Yeah, exactly. Um, it's like, yeah, those people are already 30. but, uh, but and so is she. But the, the point being that The Rock sort of, sort of proposes to her, hey, we're going to do an interrogation scene now. The point of the scene is that I'm going to say something, and then I want you to follow my lead and say something in response to it that maintains a certain tension with me. And then I'm going to follow up and send it in a different direction, and you follow up and send it in a different direction. And then this is what makes the scene fun and interesting and desirable is this repartee. He asks how her rhythm is. do you have good rhythm and we're going to find out and then of course the interrogation has like witty repartee that goes back and forth with a certain rhythm and then goes immediately into a fight scene which is also heavily sexualized where she wraps her legs around his head right and uh, and and there so they're they're bringing out this idea that the action sequences, the dialogue scenes are, are not only there for aesthetic reasons rather than kind of plot driven reasons, but they're there um, as, as a dance. And they're a, a dance that has a tradition and a dance where the players know the steps and there's variation, but it's familiar. And so it's sort of like, well, this is the scene where we go and talk to the family. And this is the scene where we go get the the gadgets. And this is the scene. Right. Uh, and then that's another way. It's like the sort of Bing Crosby Road movies. It's like this is the scene where we you have to go dress up in disguises. Uh, this is the, this. is the scene with the retina scanner, which is another another one that's made for laughs. Laugh. Did anyone else realize all of their eyes were closed and that's why it wasn't working? <laughs> <laughs> He's just holding a guy with his eyes closed up to the retinal scanner and getting frustrated. But yeah, it's like it's a dance. It's fun because it's a dance and it's not necessarily – about the stakes of what we're talking about. It's about how good are you at doing the dance? And when you're talking about mannerism, right, mannerism, the art movement, not mannerism, the gesture, although the two are related, you know, that's what I think of. I think of this idea of a picture of a person and the person is defined by the uh, the gesture that they're making and the clothes that they're wearing and the colors that they have uh, associated with them and their environs, all of which really strain any sort of credulity or realism, but which are associated so much with kind of a history of those, those Clothes, those mannerisms, those characters, that you're supposed to read the story from the history, not mm. from the thing that's going on right in front of you, not you the just, subject matter. Let me
0: read from Wikipedia for a second. Uh, mannerism was a reaction to a high Renaissance art, which emph- emphasized, now I'm quoting from from Wikipedia, proportion, balance, and ideal beauty, whereas mannerism exaggerates such qualities often. Uh, resulting in compositions that are asymmetrical or unnaturally elegant. Much like a ballet of helicopter, chain, rock tow truck, and three or four hot rods, on, you know, <laughs> arcing in a graceful rond de jambe, you know, <laughs> through the, I don't actually even know if that's a real thing, in, a, uh, you know, across a, across a Samoan cliff at the edge of the, at the, you know, at the edge of the, I think they actually shot it in, in Kauai.
1: So 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 that's because that's worthwhile, right? It's that there's a scene where the each car has a different uh, towing and and uh, hitching mechanism that it uses to attach itself to the car in front of it to create a chain of cars that the helicopter mm-hmm. can't lift, and, and that this is the this is the symbol of the family. But like, there's nothing going on in this scene that in any sort of practical way resembles a family. It is entirely symbol, right? It is entirely manner and gesture, in in much the same way as like. An upstairs, downstairs drama where, like, Downton Abbey, right, where, like, the servants are down in the darkness and they're kind of whispering in the corner. And then they, the the elites are in their huge, opulent dining hall and they're eating very formally and talking to each other very formally. And the gap between how those people behave is just un- un- untraversable. God, but I miss that, college. Yeah. <laughs> Why is that, Matt? Why do you miss college? <laughs> I mean, that's because that was a
0: description of it that you just gave. Yeah.
1: I mean, well, you think about it when people are pretending to be adults. Right. That's that's kind of what's happening in this movie is that they're pretending to be the kind of people that they you want them to be. And again, this makes me think about this movie in relation to movies like The Hunger Games, where there is a there's a coming of age story. Sort of there's there's a relation between the family relationships of the characters and their personal relationships and like the world around them. And none of it is realistic. Uh, and it's just all it's all kind of like intertwined in various sorts of expectations and symbols. Uh, I mean, I loved it. I mean, I love the movie. I thought it was great, but it's de- its definitely like really wacky. Yeah. Uh, even the way that the the motorcycle slides under the truck and disassembles itself and reassembles itself in flawlessly. Right. And it's just it's just smooth. It's just perfect. It's like the platonic ideal of a bad guy who won't be stopped. Right. It's just like just. Bella, Right, that's a wonderful transformer. Uh, it, would, my, it,
0: it would be uh, it would be a grittier uh, if it were directed by Michael Bay. Even it would be grittier than what we have here.
1: <laughs> I think there were transformer noises at some point, yeah, oh, and I do think there was definitely Optimus Prime in terms oh, yeah, of. No, the there, there was traffic. there
2: was straight up Skrillex at one point.
1: <laughs> Bangering. Yeah, yeah. I mean. <laughs> Oh, man. Hobbs and Shaw for real. It's uh, yeah. there's so much. There's so much that we can keep talking about with regards well, to this movie.
2: OK, I have a question because I thought this was interesting. Um, the nature of the friendship that develops between Hobbs and Shaw, oh. because on paper, right, this is a movie about two uh, people who have built up walls, right, and don't, maybe don't have any friends who develop this deep, meaningful friendship with each other. But that's not really the way it plays out. It doesn't really seem like if you use, like, let's say bad boys as the thing to compare it against or lethal weapon, you know, another like buddy cop movie where, like, you know, they'll straight up declare their love and affection for each other. They'll hug, they'll spend leisure time together voluntarily. There's, you know, people who really seem to have a deep, emotional bond this is like at the end of the movie besides like trying to get each other arrested and or killed as like a fun long distance practical joke it's unclear like how much of a friendship as opposed to a a working relationship of convenience really develops i mean i think i think you know what what's going on here is like obviously these guys are uh, you know work alone they, they they tell you very pointedly In unison uh, At the beginning when they're somehow locked In a glass box I don't understand How this happens that they're <laughs> in a glass box And, and they're like FBI handlers Are talking to them like through a microphone And I'm not sure like how This scene the only way this scene Could have happened is if they were they were led in there And they were both wearing hoods And then on the count of three their hoods were removed And so they could react to each other's presence Right because otherwise they would have seen each other and they would have refused to go into the conference room and sit on opposite sides of the table. Anyway, but my point is that, like, these, these are guys who, who uh, won't – like, like at, at any given point, they might be working for a government agency or they might be operating for themselves – Um, and just like, you know, they they could easily, um, switch sides at the drop of a hat, right? Like they, they, they respect nothing but their own codes and yeah, they have to learn, right. It's the, the dance, right. They have to learn to take a punch for the other person because otherwise nobody wins. And so it's like, how do these people who remain prickly individually, I think it's important that, you know, in the opening scene, we see them living parallel lives on opposite sides of the world. Um, and you could almost imagine a movie where, like, at the end, maybe they're living together? Or, I mean, it would be <laughs> weird, but, like, you can imagine, like, maybe they bridge the gap, right? Like, somehow they're, they're in the same place, and they're sort of moving forward together, whereas they used to live very separate lives. But no, that's not true. One is back in England. One is back in L.A. They call each other occasionally, but, like... They go back to their separate lives. So, what's the nature of the relationship that's developed there? Matt, let me tell you
0: about a little thing called the homosocial love triangle. <laughs> go
2: for it. It's a,
0: it was, um, oh, who, 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 I forget who the theorist was that talked about, uh, maybe it was uh, Eve, what's her middle name? Eve Kosofsky Sedgwick um talked about uh, uh paradise lost the unsurpassed and unsurpassable greatest work of literature in any language ever um and uh, talked about the relationship between adam and god uh and how the the important thing is the is the male is the is the hot man on man action of adam and god that's where the real you know sparks fly in that uh, epic poem and eve is just kind of the medium through which that is uh, through which that is transacted. And that's... Um you know, uh, that's I think True here of Vanessa, of Princess Margaret in this thing Now, I, I think Vanessa Kirby Is great, she was great as Princess Margaret In The Crown, and she seems to be making uh, You know, making A, a sort of major sideline In these like alluring but Dangerous, you know, kinda um, she, did, she did one in Mission Impossible, and she's doing another one She's doing another one here um, And she really does When she has to look sort of alluring and like you know, spunky, but not so spunky as to interfere with the hero's machismo. And like, give a kind of pouty look that says, "Hey, you know, I'm my own person, and you respect me." But like, la- ravish me, you big lunk! You know, she 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 does it with a plum. Like, and that's those are hard. You know, practice a couple of selfies and try to do that. If you think that's an easy job, or you think she does. anyone can uh, anyone can can do that, but she's not but you know she doesn't really have aims here other than like in the course of doing her job she did something honorable but risky you know and needs to be needs to be saved by her her big brother and the like the you know, uh and that tall stack of pancakes, The Rock, you know, <laughs> that that that's what she's that's kind of what she's here for plot wise. I think it's a, I think it's a testament to her, to the actress and to her performance that you don't actually think of her that way. But if you break it down, that's about what she is. She's a she's a medium for the the hot man on man action like the the you know, the rock assisted Idris Elba 69 that ends uh the movie <laughs> is that's that's where that's where its heart is you know
1: so my one of my favorite scenes in the movie that outlines the situation that you're talking about sorry
0: sorry pete i just realized rock assisted in that the rock picks him up and also he drops him on a rock so (laughs) idris elba finds himself between a rock and a rock
1: (laughs) i see what you did there So, so my favorite scene with regards to love triangles and homosociality in this movie, which is, of course, something that you should look for in any action film that you watch, right? Is the is the scene where they go to see the arms dealer in the, in the Russian countryside, wherever <laughs> it is they go, who's like robbing the Bolshoi Ballet or the Hermitage or something. I don't even know what's going on. <laughs> but there's this great – what's been happening, right, is you have The Rock who won't open up to anybody, and his daughter is trying to tell him that he, wa- he should get – actually with uh, Shaw's sister, right? It's like, hey, that woman that, you, that is in your job dossier, you think she's attractive. You should go have sex with her. And he's like, no, daughter, I'm a father, not a sexual being, right? Like, I am fa- I, I have family relationships. I don't have erotic relationships. Uh, and then he meets her and he likes her and he wants to cross that boundary, but he can't. And then you have the situation which is in parallel with uh, Shaw and his sister, right? It's It's in parallel, but it's symmetrical sort of going the other way where they can't, uh, kind of, com- they can't really kind of, uh, I don't want to say consummate, but kind of really uh, bring to fruition their brother-sister relationship, because they don't recognize who each other are with regards to being brother and sister. And he's, she sees him as a threat, which if you were to do kind of a Freudian reading would say that the Shaw brother and sister don't get along because there's a sort of sexual menace already in their relationship that needs to be replaced or cleared out in order for them to kind of get together. Mm-hmm. And so, when I mean, that's a, that's that a is, real reach. That rich, is no like,
0: way to talk Talk about Academy Award winner Helen Mirren.
1: <laughs> well, there's are all in prison, right? The whole family is in prison, and they're trying to break out of prison. Um, uh-huh. But the, the point is that uh, that when The Rock and Jason Statham and Prince Ma- Margaret, what is the actress's name again? I should tell you, oh, Vanessa moment. Kirby. Vanessa Kirby, because she's going to keep being an awesome movie, so I should keep seeing her. You real can name. remember because she just like sucks in the scenery and spits it out, just like. <laughs> <laughs> Nintendo kirby, and that makes the rock king ddd i suppose which is another interesting <laughs> homosocial triangle but uh, the uh, it's meta knight king ddd and kirby right uh but that it's the three of them they go to the house and then there's a primal scene where the rock <laughs> and vanessa kirby <laughs> watch jason stata make out with this this uh temptress cue right this kind of like sex abuse, right? Yes. Who has the That's Who exactly has the the, the bomb from Suicide Squad, which is going to be used in this movie? Which she is literally has a jet. They're like, <laughs> "Can you have a military jet?" And she's like, "Yes, I do." Yes, I do. What, do you I want
2: have? to go? Do you want to go to Chernobyl? <laughs> I'm waiting. I, I really feel like I just finished the miniseries. I gotta work in some Chernobyl. Okay, by the end of this episode, I will work in a Chernobyl
1: reference. And but so it, it, won't, it won't be not great, not terrible. It'll be something more subtle <laughs> than that. Just just yes, because we're going to get on the roof and then we're going to look over the roof and then we're going to say aim for the bushes and then we're going to jump. But um, it's. (laughs) So they're into the reactor, like Palpatine. It all comes together. But The Rock and Vanessa Kirby watch Jason Statham kiss the woman, and they have opposite reactions. They have very strong reactions, right? The Rock is surprised, I think, because he doesn't expect that Jason Statham has relation- friendly relationships with anybody, let alone erotic relationships. He thinks of Jason Statham as a very solitary person, and he hates Jason Statham. He hates Shaw, right? Because he's social and Shaw is not. So Shaw is antisocial, right? It's like everything about you, you don't relate to other people. I'm charismatic. You don't appreciate me. You hurt friends and family. You're a bad guy, right? But then he sees that he has this secret relationship, and he's like, oh, oh, that's interesting. I feel like I know this guy better. And what's really happening is that when he's watching this guy make out with this girl, he's also – the, the character is like, that's what I should be doing. That's what homosociality is, right? He's seeing himself in Shaw and, and saying like, oh, so that's how you make out with a woman. That's what my daughter was telling me about. I don't know why. I don't know how this works, but that's the way this movie is working, right? Is that I'm incapable of sexual relationships because of whatever's happened in my life. That's how it goes. And I see this because I put myself in his shoes and doing it, whereas the sister is repulsed, right? She thinks it's super gross and is like, and it, there's this shock on her face as she watches her brother make out with this other woman. But I, but after that, their relationship is somewhat better. And I think that part of what happens is that she realizes the distance, the boundaries that are necessary, right? Like, she sees that he is sort of directed outward and not at her. She's, he's not a threat to her. He's out, he's out there with other women and that allows her to kind of let her guard down a little bit, right? And in this way, the sort of, she serves as a bridge because The Rock first gets with her, but doesn't know what to do with her, and then looks at him and sees him making out with the girl and it's like oh that's what i should do and then he makes out with the sister who is another form of homosocial stand-in because it's shaw and shaw right and so like what this really is matt to answer your question is that they realize they're the same person (laughs) Right. Like they they have a relationship. They have a homosocial relationship where they realize that they are mirrors of each other. And in doing so, they discover more about who they are themselves. Right. They're like, oh, I love bludgeons. You love bludgeons, too. You love secret racks of weapons that are aligned vertically in your family's back room. Like I do that, too. I finally (laughs) understand it because when I did it, it was just what I did. But when you're doing it, I get it. So like Jason Statham, Sean doesn't understand all of the plots that his sister and he have been talking about really until the rock tells him about the Mick Jagger right it's, it's like oh it makes it. so sense it 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 makes sense it's a face off it is, it is. It's do-
0: face off. <laughs> they're doing a face off. And the, yeah. the, with Vanessa Kirby playing the role of uh, I think it was Dominique Swain in face off who was uh, who was the daughter who had a family a relationship. Super young Swain. Yeah, exactly. The family relationship with one as his daughter and uh, but yet also the um, the like uncomfortable sexual relationship with the yeah. with the other uh, with whoever the bad um, member of that dyad was.
2: Yeah, I mean, I think speaking of that, that homosocial bond, I, it can't be a coincidence that the sort of theme song of this movie is a, a sort of a hard, maybe a punk cover of the Jim Croce uh, folk song, Time in a Bottle, <laughs> which yeah. which is sort of like was was back in the the sort of uh, pop culture zeitgeist when it was used as a, uh, a song in, uh, what was it, X-Men uh, Days of Futures Past. That was the Quicksilver scene. Where, uh, in order they're, they're in the Pentagon and like, you know, they're, they're about to be killed by a bunch of, uh, army guys and Quicksilver, uh, puts on a Walkman with what is presumably like a highly sped up version of time in a bottle that like <laughs> plays out in like, you know, a millisecond. And so that he can listen to it while he's like moving bullets out of the air. Um, And obviously it's like a very sappy, I'm looking at the lyrics right now, it's like, you know, if I could make days last forever, if words could make wishes come true, I'd save every day like a treasure and then again I would spend them with you. And it's obviously supposed to be like ironic, you know, sort of these two macho guys who are obviously uh, not gay, and yet it's kind of like, isn't it funny to sort of imagine them as like an odd couple, right? It's sort of like, you know, what if they were making breakfast
1: together? Yeah, I could totally see them showing up to the next Fast and the Furious movie like in a rented uh, Honda Civic, right? Or like a little tiny car like in a in a Mini Cooper. They show up in uh, Jason Statham's Mini Cooper like squashed in there arguing like an old married couple, right? Like uh, they could totally – there's totally that dimension to their relationship. And yeah, you're right. It's like there, there's a difference between homosexuality and homosociality. And there's a yeah. sexual dynamic to homoeroticism, but there's – but it's, it's not necessarily like about be, having a partner – as much as it is about learning about yourself in these kinds of situations, in these kinds of adolescent development situations.
2: But it, it is um, interesting that they straight up like repurposed the love song
1: as the sort of yeah. song for Hobbes and Shaw's relationship. <laughs> Right, 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 and this idea that these mo- that the that there are precious moments that have been lost and need to be conserved is is uh, totally about them revealing their family past to each other. Like The Rock takes Jason Statham home to meet his mom, <laughs> is what he does, right? And like Jason Statham even has to have a confrontation with the family when he feels like the family is disrespecting his man, right? Like that's that's what has to happen. Is he, he like pitches in with him in an argument with the family? Uh, which is just, yeah, there's a lot that's going on in this movie with regards it, it to, like... It is,
2: I mean, yeah, like, earlier we talked about how Jason Statham is somewhat ageless, right? That, like, it doesn't matter that Jason Statham in real life is 51, he might as well be Vanessa Kirby's age. But in another way, it is true that these... It's a story about, like, two people who are getting older and have kind of, like, wasted their life and are sort of, like, stuck in regrets and alienated from the people who matter from them and just are unable to say the things they need to say... Right. And and that like, you know, that they need a they need to go back to go forward. Right. They need to to make the have a have a fun little play day where they make the cake for mom or go back. And and um, what what is the deal with Samoan family structure that it's like it's like. 20 men between the ages of like 25 and 40 that live with like one matriarch
1: and like all the women are in some other house somewhere. <laughs> I would not trust this movie to tell me anything true about anything in the real world, <laughs> but I don't know if that's true. <laughs>
2: it's very, I mean, I assume I actually, I actually am shocked to hear that uh, this movie was shot in Hawaii and not actually shot in Samoa because you would think that like given all the, you know, the 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 prominent place of Samoan culture in the third act, that like one of the conditions of The Rock signing on as like producer and star of this movie is that like they shoot in Samoa and cast Samoan actors. And honestly, like we were we were saying beforehand that like if you had found out that like this was The Rock's actual daughter and actual mom in the movie, it would not have
1: greatly surprised you. Although they were they were wonderful actresses, but like there was something so personal about those characters. Oh, yeah, for sure. For sure. I'm, try- I'm like looking up Samoan family structure now. <laughs> right. And the idea that there are like f- yeah, familial yeah. land grants. So like they all live on the familial land grant, uh, which yeah, is like these, a different- these big family,
2: like uh, almost like a whole clan of of is right, right,
1: right. Uh, I mean, it I is.
0: Guess, I mean, like, so I think they shot it on Kauai. At least that's what I read in the entertainment press, which is like, I think, as far as you can go, the least developed Hawaiian island where there is some development, where there is infrastructure, like, you know, cities and stuff.
2: Like, um, enough food to support the rocks. Yeah. You know, exactly. 8 billion calorie a day diet.
1: <laughs> right. He's yeah. fished all the cod out of the Pacific Ocean.
2: Exactly.
0: <laughs> um, and uh, Samoa is. Like, um, way, way the heck. I mean. Hawaii—it's another five-hour plane flight or six-hour plane flight. It's like two-thirds of the way to New Zealand, as opposed to just one-third of the way to to New Zealand. So it seems like logistically, unless your production were based out of Australia or something like that, it seems like it would be a lot harder to shoot on on Samoa just because of of you know getting the. And I'll bet they don't have an infrastructure the way Hawaii has, probably with like local crews and people who are experienced in making. Um, um, making movies, things like that.
1: Yeah, it takes place in the Moanaverse is what happens, right? <laughs> that sort of like ambiguous place between in sort of Polynesian mythos where it's like, well, it's it's one Pacific Island, but it's not the right one. But, you know, the rock's in it and the music's playing and the waterfalls are falling. So we all kind of an allied one to the other. But it was still, I mean, I thought it was really cool. This, But it, I mean, of course, it was very counter to what Hobbes' expectations and his background had been set up as, that he had this deep, upbringing as a Samoan right is not even briefly alluded to as far as I can tell at least in fast five um because obviously he was Um, a different character but 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 I mean what did you think I mean this is about is this about the rock this is, is this about the rock trying to say something that he's wanted to say in his life and using this movie as an opportunity to say it is the sort of question that I'm putting out there? Is that is that like is the Samoan aspect of this movie even really about this movie, or is it more like this is a movie that so much depends on the rock and is so much of a blank that he's been looking for this opportunity? Well,
0: I mean, it goes to something that you said earlier, Pete, that when when you have you know when. It's it's like holidays or as you say like dances. It's like ball, you know, like grand balls. You know, um, right? These these are the rocks' grand balls. Like
1: the the the. <laughs> I'll show you the rocks' grand balls. yourself <laughs> <laughs> Elba got them. you got smashed on one of them. Oh no no! no. I heard it <laughs> <was> <laughs> the size of a boulder. <laughs> um, the uh, the uh,
0: the idea, you know, the idea that like if your life and I mean like you know grand balls, I mean like cotillions or something. Like yeah. if your life is this this uh, sequence of rituals. Then you have to sort of find you have to find variety within the the similarity, within the familiarity. And that, you know, it just like it also like it it's not I, I think it's not it bears mentioning that this is not a bad thing. Like Aristotle oh, no. said that that the you know qualities of the ending of a good tragedy was a sense of like familiarity and a sense of surprise, or inevitability, I guess, and and surprise. And like the the you know, the sound of inevitability is the the like the bling as the access is granted, the 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 retinal scanner seen in any one of these in any one of these movies. So like the, it is a trope of these movies that like you go to a far flung location where the um where the the uh the final battle plays out right like uh, a field a field outside the research lab in Wakanda or you know I don't know um the, like the, the, all all these James Bond movies are all going to exotic locales and things like this. And this was kind of a way of doing something, doing something unique with that with that trope and like i think the idea that it has and yeah it probably does as you suggest have something to do with the personal project of the rock which is to like you know remind everybody or or educate everybody if they don't happen to know uh that samoa is awesome <laughs> right
2: right like, i mean the things he that puts are on are awesome. traditional samoan garb and then one of my favorite sort of um <laughs> Implausible moments in the movie is that, like, at the moment when, the, when Vanessa Kirby is captured, they have to rush off and save her. He somehow pauses to put on pants and a t shirt.
0: I mean, he doesn't pause. He does it
2: running outright. No, he, you know? Yeah, he does, he does it at full, but, but it is funny that, yeah, like, there must have been, like, numerous discussions body. about this, right? Like, but again, this is, this, is, this is the
0: mannerist, I mean, this is the mannerist thing, right? Like, appropriate attire for a shooting party is tweeds. An appropriate attire <laughs> for, you know, a a dinner that night is white eating. tie and tails. An appropriate t- attire for fighting black Superman in a ring of fire, <laughs> right? Like as the Mad Mask X uh, esque hot rods like circle you, you know is a uh, is the sort of um, you know a, a, what the lower lower half of the body kind of wrap that he wears. I don't know the name of it, and and appropriate attire for uh, you know hauling a, a helicopter out of the sky is a really is a really tight muscle T shirt. <laughs>
1: He
2: hey, I mean, the man, hey. I, the, man,
0: the man is practically an Emily Post
1: of his. <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's like. Hey, Kevin Hart is in this movie. <laughs> <laughs> and that's how it feels when you're watching the movie, too. It's going along. It's going along. Various things are happening. Things are developing. Oh, Kevin Hart is in this movie. <laughs> Yeah. Well, there's like, you know, just to
2: contrast that with Ryan Reynolds is also in this movie, which is a delightful cameo, but Ryan Reynolds is like a, in plays a necessary role in like in setting off the story. Whereas Kevin Hart is really like, it's almost like he happened to be there when they were shooting the airplane scene. And they're like, maybe he'll just pop in. Maybe he'll just like, you know, be like, Hey guys, can I come along on the adventure too? And they'll be maybe like, they, Not maybe they were time. just
0: on the set of Jumanji. Right. And yeah. it was like, Hey, Kev, you want to work a day on my movie? <laughs> <You> know,
1: <it's- laughs> Or maybe he's already got a character written for him in Hobbs and Shaw 2 or Fast and Furious 10, and this was the seeding because this cinematic universe is painstakingly and artisanally crafted on a movie-by-movie basis. They seeded the Don Omar music in the earlier Fast and the Furious films because they knew that reggaeton artist Don Omar (laughs) would appear in the later Fast and the Furious movies in a small role as a supporting character. It's all part of the plan, man. It's all part of the plan. I mean honestly part of the Fast and the Furious
2: DNA or since Fast 5 at least is this idea of like the team right? right and like like it's it's an ensemble piece and so the idea that like they're they're introducing big parts for characters that might become more of a major factor later and it's interesting that like Kevin Hart, he could have been just like an air marshal who wants to be a badass, but he's just an air marshal and he's incompetent. But instead they made they they bother to have this long conversation about like, no, no, guys, I was a special forces soldier. And they're like, oh wow, we know about the unit you were part of, and like we respect that, and like we believe that you have legitimate skills. It's almost like they wanted to establish that, like, no, he's not just comic relief. He could be like a legitimate player in future movies if he if his schedules works out when we happen to want to shoot them.
1: Right, right, right. And and, I mean, it's just it's also adds to so many of the other things we've talked about, right? Which is that, like, they don't hang out. Kevin Hart's character doesn't hang out and have lunch with The Rock and Jason Statham. But the proposition that he might you know, say fly a a jet to Samoa with them or like storm Chernobyl with them is presented with the kind of zeal that one might talk about a barbecue or a trip to Applebee's, right? It's like, oh man, I can hang out with you guys, right? And this idea that their that their friendship is being transacted through these highly choreographed action sequences. And that those What do you guys
2: need? Like five thousand tons of sand and boron? All (laughs) the liquid nitrogen in the Soviet Union? You got it. I thought Fair I no thought sense.
0: this was going to be a challenge. <laughs>
1: <laughs> oh, He's, man, uh, I wish got... I watched more Chernobyl so that I could make more Chernobyl jokes, which is not yeah, a you, sentence you that you anybody don't. has said. Oh, Ch- you, I don't. Chernobyl
2: is no, I mean, like, it's it's great, but it is it
1: is uh, harrowing. <laughs> So it's similar to Hobbs and Shaw, is what you're saying. <laughs> it's like got a lot of action. People are in at a lot of risk. There's a lot of motorcycles. I mean, in that, in that, a nuclear power plant is destroyed. Uh, yes, it's very similar. <laughs> to Hobbs and Shaw. Is it by an explosion that travels extremely slowly, just slow fast enough, like this, as fast as like a grinding axe in a auto-scrolling Mario level, like just fast enough that the <laughs> character can stay in front of it. Right? Like, uh, uh, is that is that the kind of explosive that's used to blow up Chernobyl uh, I mean, when the I don't want to give away all the spoilers for Chernobyl. <laughs> <laughs> um yeah all right well let's
0: leave it there for uh for the time being thanks very much for uh coming in and i feel like uh along the way we've we've discovered uh that we have to work together in order to record a good podcast so thank you uh both for podcasting and and thank you for listening to it we'll be back next week with more overthinking it podcast till then visit us on the web at overthinking com, where we subject the popular culture to a level of scrutiny
2: it so it probably, probably
0: doesn't, doesn't
1: deserve. deserve.